When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to Quarantine Conversations. Today's guest is Mackenzie, who recently began speaking about her detransition process on the YouTube. And I found her on the YouTube, and I invited her onto my YouTube, which is streamed in various other locations, such as Library and ThinkSpot and my podcast, The Voice of Reason, which can be found on iTunes and other podcast platforms. So I had Mackenzie on, and she speaks about her process going through gender dysphoria as a you know, a preteen and a teen, and then deciding that she was non-binary, and then that she wanted to be a trans man, and then that she didn't want to go down that path anymore. And we explore her process of transition and we explore what it's like for her now uh, being connected with her body and coping with her body in new and undiscovered ways. This is a part of a series on gender, sexuality, and transition, but it's also just a part of a series of human beings speaking to one another, because that is what I'm trying to do here. Not that I'm succeeding, but that's what I'm working toward. That is my goal. This is Benjamin Boyce, and I'd like to introduce you to Mackenzie. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. How's your lockdown? Uh, it's interesting. All my classes are on Zoom now. And uh, in my video class last week, we put on face masks during class. So that was cool. <laughs> Wait, is it a class about video making? Yeah, it's like uh, video production. All right. Is that what you're getting into? Or is it just yeah. a collective? My major is called kinetic imaging, which is just like digital media production. So there's like three, yeah, there's like three um, sort of main components. So it's like video editing, um, animation, and then sound design. Okay. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, I saw your... Uh tool-esque uh stop motion yeah yeah Your little phallus thing that's running through a mm -hmm. dirty sewer or something yeah nice and I disturbing have like over there <laughs> <laughs> are you doing any big projects yet um movies shorts video um music videos we're doing a lot of like little things and now i guess the funny thing is now that nobody has access to the equipment so they can't technically make us do stuff okay yeah <laughs> So it's like, they're just kind of like, do whatever you can, and that's good enough. <laughs> okay. So a lot of yeah. smartphone videos then. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a particularly interesting challenge. How do you do a group project over, like, with social distancing going on? Yeah, I mean, they're not having us do group work, so yeah. I'm not complaining about that. <laughs> are, are you uh, kind of... Uh, do you feel like you're getting a bum deal by having to go online? Or are you missing out on your education? You feel? Yeah, I I'm trying to be like 
like not complain about it, I guess, because I'm comparatively very lucky. Um, but I I did have my first 3D class this semester, which I'd really been working on or like looking forward to because I'd been working on learning 3D, but it's hard to do, I guess, on my own with no structure. And I was making a lot of progress and now I don't have access to the software anymore. Oh, so, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and 3D would, would be, be CGI stuff, right? Like Blender or... Yeah, okay. yeah. Huh. Um, that's an interesting challenge. I wonder if uh, the schools can leverage some of their power to get the these software companies to, you know, do like a weird loan trial software to get it into your guys' hands. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an interesting idea. I know for me, part of it's just because, like, one of the programs won't run on my laptop, but, like, that's... I, I might send that suggestion to my administrators. Thank you. <laughs> no, you should. That's a good idea. You should get... They're there for you, or at least that's what they're saying. They're Allegedly. <laughs> pocketing all your loan money. Yeah. What year are you, if you mind me asking? Um, I'm technically a sophomore. It's kind of weird, because I had like dropped out halfway through spring semester of last year, but now I'm back. So technically, for like credits purposes, I'm a sophomore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you take a gap year, or did you kind of just skip from high school to college? Um, well, because I got... I got most of the way through my sophomore year last year, but then I had like a mental breakdown. So I had to mm. take a little while off. <laughs> yeah. Better now. Good. Um, and uh, when did you start doing the YouTube thing? Well, this stuff that's public now, I think was in January. I had been doing videos uh, for a few months before that, but they're all private now because they were just about different other stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a few months. And why did you start going public with this stuff? What was the impetus? I guess, I guess it was just sort of like I felt... Because I, first of all, I didn't know that that video was going to get that many views. Um, I, was, I was open to the possibility. I didn't actually think it was going to happen. It was mainly just so that I could make that, put all of my thoughts and feelings and stuff into that video, and then share that with people that hypothetically knew me or whatever or, like, had met me and just be like, hmm. here's the situation if you care, right? And it was just kind of that. Or, like, if other people are going through the same thing, maybe they'll find this video and that would be cool. Um, but, yeah, I wasn't really expecting all of that. Exactly. That is weird. It's you're, It was biographical then. It was just about your personal experience, and then it just yeah. resonated with the algorithm and with the viewers. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, I think like the detransition topic is kind of big right now, I guess, that people are like, oh, this is happening. And, um, you know, people, I think, with all different sorts of political backgrounds and stuff and different opinions, they have different reasons for being interested in it. So it's sort yeah. of, it was like a bunch of different kinds of people were probably attracted to it. Interesting. You probably saw them represented in your comment field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to read the comments, but I still do. Don't know why. (laughs) You kind of have to be kind of responsible and yet like hermetically seal yourself from personal attacks. But yeah, yeah, it's a good source of feedback. Definitely. And so do you feel that D-trans just as just as a category or as something that could be used for different ends, for different narratives? Mm -hmm. What is like some narratives that you're worried about being uh, the the D-trans story might be used for. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot, because obviously there are a lot of people that I think are seeing this and just going, 
oh, all trans people are terrible. They're destroying the children. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, a lot of it, you know, is people that I get, I don't want to like generalize anyone, but from what I've seen, people that sort of believe in really strict gender roles and stuff like that and are like telling me to go back to being like super feminine and stuff like that, which I never even was in the first place. And people that just generally don't like people breaking the status quo in any way. And I don't really like that. I don't um, really vibe with anybody that's directly like hateful or anything like that. And uh, I don't see, I actually didn't see as much of that stuff as I expected to. I think most people were genuinely just sort of curious. So that was refreshing. I was expecting it to be worse. Mm. Do you want to get into your arc a little bit? Like... Do you mind uh, if I sure. ask you, like, when when yeah. your dysphoria, when you first started no- noticing it? Yeah. Well, so it got really bad, I think, when I was, like... It was when I went into puberty that it got really bad. Because okay. before that, I had sort of... I guess I, I wouldn't say it was, like, dysphoria before that point, but it was, like, I didn't... I guess I was always kind of a tomboyish kid, and I was... I was noticing like ways that boys and girls were treated differently and stuff like that. And I was dissatisfied, Mm. I guess, with being a girl. So there were like roots from when I was a kid. But then when I went into puberty, um, (laughs) it became really intense, I guess. And it just sort of stayed that way. Okay. Um, I had, I guess in retrospect, like I wonder if, if I hadn't sort of found that narrative and I hadn't, thought that that was what was going on with me or like that I needed to transition I wonder if it would have gone away faster because I do feel like the fact that I focused on it more and like identified with it further Mm. sort of made it worse in some ways I didn't know that at the time but like in retrospect I think that happened yeah was around 12 13 was your body like betraying you? Was it doing things that you didn't want it to or (laughs) what's that like? I mean the, the puberty sucks but yeah, like female puberty is especially acute because there's some pretty big changes that happen. And like, yeah, how do you navigate like that relationship with the body that's so rapidly changing? It was just kind of like that before that point, my body, I didn't really think of it that much because it wasn't really different than anybody else's body at my age and stuff like that. So it was not something I ever thought about that much before. And then when puberty happened, all of a sudden it was like, there were a bunch of sort of outside connotations almost Hmm. to the things that were happening in my body. And I didn't, again, like at the time I didn't realize that that's part of why I was so scared as well. Mm -hmm. But it was also just like, it felt like my body wasn't mine anymore. Like, like the thing you said that it was doing things almost without my permission or that I didn't want it to do. Um, And so I just felt it felt like my body was like a separate entity to me. And it literally got to the point because I was really freaked out over it where like I was viewing it as something completely separate from myself, from my actual like consciousness, which I guess sounds strange, but it was like, I I could, I didn't want to like feel any bodily sensations and stuff like that. So I literally would like not on purpose, I guess, but like sort of mute um feelings of things i guess and just like sensations and just not like uh, purposefully almost not register them but i guess just because i was so scared and uncomfortable Mm. yeah it's hard to explain i guess but that's sort of the best i can do 
There's a, you mentioned a social component too. Was it like your body started getting different attention to, and people started paying attention to you in a way that didn't align with how you wanted to be paid attention to or treated? I mean, it was almost like, because that's the thing is that, because I didn't for a long time think that this was a factor because people didn't treat me super differently. Like obviously there were some boys at school that were like shitheads. Am I allowed to say shit? Yeah, sure. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so that was a thing. But I guess that didn't start... Like, that started sort of after the initial distress. But I think what happened was that I, you know, had been taking in information for my whole life. And I could tell the way that, like, female bodies were sexualized and stuff like that, that I really... I really did not want that kind of attention. And I didn't want to be associated with that stuff. Hmm. And um, it was really... I guess scary to just be like, wait, I don't have any choice. What, what do you mean you don't have any choice? Like it's just people are going to look at me whatever way they're okay. going to look at me and I can't do anything about it. <laughs> you said that you were dissociating from sensations. Were you also dissociating from society too? Did you kind of withdraw or how did your personality, yeah. uh, how did you manage your your intellectual yeah. life? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, cause I'd always kind of been like a shy kid, but, um, definitely I started sort of not talking very much anymore. I hadn't originally anyway, but this, it sort of got worse Mm. and, um, I would just, I felt very cut off from other people. And so it, it was sort of just, I would go to school, I would try and just do my work and stuff like that. I focused a lot just on school because it was a good distraction from everything else um, and I had friends, but I, I would just sort of go home and then not talk to anyone partially because I lived really far away. So I couldn't really feasibly see friends, but also because I didn't want to, hmm. I like couldn't, I didn't have the energy almost to continue mm-hmm. interacting with people that much because it was like just really stressful just to be around people. How was the internet? Was the internet there to be your social <laughs> network? Sure was. Yep. <laughs> um, and it was funny, like, my parents did a a relatively good job, I think, of trying to sway me away. Um, we, I think, I think my internet uh, turned off at around, it was either 10 or 11 every night. So I couldn't, I wasn't on it like after that hour. Um, and they did for a while, like, try to sort of monitor my usage but I guess it was just sort of like after a certain point I had my own freedom and it was just like humans you know especially like teenagers are rough to be around and like it was significantly easier to just be like yo I can like actually finally be around people that are somewhat interested in what I'm interested in and stuff like that because I never had that before I remember in like fifth grade crying to my teacher because I was like I don't feel like I fit in with any of these other kids and stuff like that and so it was like the internet was a very appealing place for a kid that like you don't feel like you fit in with other people around you and so you find people that are interested in the same things what were some of the things that you were interested in during your um I was times? I was really interested in like Nintendo games I really liked the Legend of Zelda okay. um so I would always go on like when I when I got Tumblr and stuff like that, it was basically just video games and then music that I liked because I was also really into bands. Um, I really liked My Chemical Romance, like a lot of people did at that point. Um, I really liked a bunch of other bands that like none of the kids at my school liked yet, or at least not the kids I was friends with. 
but I was like really obsessed with them. And it was like the main thing that I cared about at that point. So you could just go on the internet and it's like, oh, other people are talking about this stuff that I really care about. So yeah, mainly that stuff. And did your, it seems like you said that you discovered gender dysphoria as a concept and maybe transition as a concept. Was it through online research? On it was your... Instagram. Yeah. Oh, Instagram. Okay. Yeah. There was surprisingly not Tumblr, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is um, an anomaly. Yeah. Um, it was, it was by a, my chemical romance fan who was a trans guy and it was sort of, it was a little bit after I had started like feeling really uncomfortable in my body and had started sort of independently thinking like, I really don't want to be a girl. I wish I was born a guy, stuff like that. But I didn't, I guess, give a whole lot of weight to it because it seemed like hmm. not something that was possible at the time, like not something I knew about as like a concept. But then I came across him and I was like, that's something that exists. Like hmm. I can do that. And that's what's going on with me, I thought. Like, because it matched up, his experience matched up so well with how I was feeling. And so I definitely like latched onto that, I think, as like, this is what's up with me. This is why I'm so distressed. Because from my perspective at the time, at least, you know, now looking back, like I can see how other people are probably going through very similar things. I just couldn't see it at the time. But um, hmm. like it felt like I was the only person around me that was experiencing that amount of distress over like gender and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, cause nobody else seemed to talk about it. Everybody else seemed to be fine. And I don't know if they were just quiet about it, but it was like, that was the only person. And then after that, like the only people that were actually talking about that and that seemed to understand why I was so upset. Oh, okay. And was there like a middle ground that you entered into first, like a non non-binary identity or did you start getting into that side of the conversation? It was kind of for a while where I, I was just like, okay, whatever it is, I'm not a girl, right? Hmm. <laughs> I literally, I have that carved into my leg from when I was like 14. Um, I was very confident about that at the time. Um, so yeah, I think I, my timeline for this is all messed up because I really honestly blocked a lot of this out. Um, okay. <laughs> but I did identify as non-binary for a few years, then a trans man for a few years. And I was just sort of like, I guess it was less that I felt different, but more that just I was using different words um, hmm. because it, it was just sort of figuring out where I felt comfortable at the time. And then eventually I went back to identifying as non-binary in college. So oh, okay. it was just sort of like non-binary, trans man, non-binary again. Was it helpful when you started um, being non-binary? Was it helpful when you identified as a man and how did it help you? It was. And it's, it's super weird because it literally did feel like just putting that sort of layer of language and like conceptual reality over myself like that. It removed me from the reality of girlhood and the reality of womanhood to an extent, obviously, like it didn't physically at that point um, relieve any of my like body stress. But it it sort of, hmm. I guess, almost provided relief in a way. Were, do you think that you like be, tried to become a different person or were you just the same person just conceptualized differently or, or mm -hmm. like plugged into the world differently on a mental level? I think it was like 
I almost saw it as like a pass to be able to be myself, which sounds kind of weird. Like, cause I was still very, I was, I would say I was pretty repressed in general for that whole period of time. Um, but it was almost like when, like when I, before I was identifying as non-binary, it was almost like I, I cared way too much about sort of what I was supposed to be. Um, and I, I, cause I was in some ways rebelling against that because I recognized that like, I didn't like gender stereotypes and stuff like that. And I thought they were dumb and I was like, people should just be free to be themselves. But there was that layer of fear and anxiety over top of it that when I identified as non-binary, it was almost like freeing in a way, Hmm. which like in retrospect, it's like kind of messed up, but it's, I mean, that's how it was at the time, I guess. Why, why do you think it's messed up? What's weird about (laughs) it looking at it now? I guess it's just that, like, why couldn't I have felt okay being myself, like, not identifying as non-binary, like, as a woman? Mm. Like, why did that have to change anything about me? Anything about how I presented myself, anything about the standards that I applied to myself, anything like that. Like, it hypothetically, at least from my opinion now of myself, it shouldn't have needed to change anything, but it's almost like it was this mental stepping stone at the time like almost a rite of passage of claiming yourself like of being in control of yeah yeah that's a good way to put it yeah and then when you went from non-binary to uh, being a trans man how did that change your feelings about yourself and the world i guess it was i guess it didn't super change how i it, it didn't it wasn't a huge change it was just kind of that i was like thinking, you know, it it doesn't really make sense that I would like to have a male body and stuff like that, like that I wish I was born male, and yet I'm calling myself non-binary, so it was almost sort of like, I guess, a logical thing to me that I was like, this seems to be the more correct label, right? That seemed to be more accurate at the time, because I guess non-binary at that point had just been like the first step, like, okay, I'm not a girl, here's this here's this like placeholder almost here's what i'm not right it was like an anti-identity almost because i called myself agender for a while too um Hmm. which i guess was like the same thing just like i'm not a girl at least so here's this (laughs) and what what percentage of your identity or your your life was focused on like the internet identity as opposed to you going Hmm. to school and saying this is my pronoun or talking to your friends and your cohorts and in real life, like how much of that, uh, Mm -hmm. what's the proportion of those two? I think it would probably honestly have been like 50, 50 because I didn't really bring that side of things. They weren't really very connected. Um, I had, I had a few people at school in high school that knew, um, one of them was the girl I dated. And then there were like a couple other people that, that knew that were like my close friends. But other than that, like I, I'm from a relatively conservative area. And mm-hmm. so it was just sort of like a strategic thing that I was like, probably best to keep quiet about this. So hmm. yeah, it was just sort of, they were very separate and it was just sort of when I was at school, I was just doing my thing as this person. And then when I went home, I was like, I feel better almost because I, and I was just alone like I would just hold myself up in my room when I got home or just like go out into the woods and then just sit out there for like hours. So it was like I wasn't getting a lot of human interaction outside of school. Hmm. And it it sounds like these steps were 
of your own volition. Yes. Was it was it molded by the internet? Did did it did did the internet did the community on the internet uh, kind of take you up into itself, or did you just see what other people were doing and and kind of select what you wanted from that? It was mainly the second thing because I wasn't very like actually active in communities. I just sort of observed most of the time. Hmm. So nobody really knew who I was. I didn't really interact with people. It was just kind of that I was searching for a solution to what was going on with me. And that was what I found. So I was just like observing people. Did you get any counseling or anybody who understood this stuff that could talk to you like a gender therapist or something like that? Uh, Understood this stuff is an interesting thing. So when I was uh, I think it was from when I was 15 through 17, I did have a therapist um, and sort of the extent that we went with talking about this stuff, because she, right, she, I think, correctly identified that my problems were probably rooted in other things, like not feeling like I belonged and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, because, of course, at that point, I, I believed that all the other, like, at least a lot of the other distress I was feeling was because I was trans. Um, she said that she had, I think, like a, a lesbian family member or something like that, that felt the way that I was describing and I can remember at the time that that I was just sort of like, okay, like why is like because the narrative that I'd gotten right, I didn't know anything about that lesbians and gay people do often experience gender dysphoria. I didn't know that. Um, it was sort of that narrative of like if you experience gender dysphoria, it means you're some flavor of trans or whatever. And there's not really other, you know, people didn't really talk about anything else. And also um, that like gender identity and sexuality are completely separate not at all related and it's like that's true in some ways but also like for a lot of people that I have heard of like you know your sexuality can impact your relationship with gender so uh, it didn't make sense to me at the time because I sort of wasn't I wasn't familiar with why that would make sense so I was like okay this is kind of irrelevant and also Hmm. like I, I wasn't sure of my sexuality at the time, but I was like, well, I don't think I'm a lesbian, so this is not relevant to me at all. Was basically. there resistance to being seeing yourself as a lesbian? I think it was like, I... <laughs> that's hard to answer because I still haven't figured that out. Um, yeah. <laughs> so probably, yeah. I hmm. think to some extent because I assumed... I've always assumed that I was attracted to males. And... I haven't uh, confirmed nor falsified that yet. (laughs) So, so, yeah, I guess I was just sort of like, because I guess it would have meant that I was a girl. And I was like, I'm very firmly don't feel like a girl. Okay. So I think that was the main thing. But I also feel like there was probably other stuff involved. But at the same time, like, I, because the internalized homophobia thing is like an interesting topic for me because I have, Two um, great uncles who were gay, um, only one of them is still alive, but two great uncles who were gay, and then one lesbian cousin. And I, you know, so my whole family always had been very accepting of that kind of thing. And so I never experienced any homophobia in like in the home or anything like that. But again, I was in that like conservative town area where it was pretty much normal up until like some part of high school for teachers to just sometimes make homophobic jokes. And so I do, like, it, it's probable that I internalized that. Like, mm. I think that just, you know, might have happened. And that does concern me. And that's something that I'm, like, still trying to figure out. Yeah. 
but it, it doesn't it doesn't sound from what you're saying that that was like a prime cause of you wanting to so. not be a woman because you were yeah. attracted to you might be attracted to women. Did your did your dysphoria ebb when you went into transmanness? Sort of. It was like a certain amount of it did because most of it didn't. Most of it just stayed the same because it was like situational and like based on how people were interpreting me and stuff like that and based on how my body was. But there was this amount of like sort of satisfaction almost from feeling like I had figured out what I was going through that it was almost like I have this path now okay. that it's not like oh I just feel like crap and I don't know why and I don't know what to do about it it was like I think I know what's going on and I think I know what to do to hopefully make myself feel better so it was like I had a goal did that but then you started backing out of that so what was what was it about that that was no longer panning out or what was it about that you you decided, oh, maybe this isn't the mm -hmm. solution. I think, I think part of it, because a lot of, a lot of this just gets into how maybe I just don't understand, you know, maybe this is an issue of mine, but, um, there seem to be a lot of like contradictions in the way that gender identity is talked about and the way that people sort of conceptualize of it and I don't know maybe again that's just a me thing um but I I knew that at a certain point that I didn't want to I didn't want to be like a manly man I guess um I knew that I wanted to be male but I didn't want to be I guess and it was the kind of thing where I wanted a male body but I was also it's so confusing there's a lot of stuff where people were talking about how you know divorced your gender identity can be from like your physical um dysphoria and stuff like that and mm. sort of how there's all these different components and i guess it just became where like people it, it was almost like people would sort of treat me as like like hey bro you know like when i told them i was a trans man and stuff and almost i guess maybe they were overcompensating yeah but it was like i was like i don't want this social role okay. i guess like I wanted to be interpreted as a male, but I didn't want, I, I didn't want, I guess, that sort of stereotypical male um, social role imposed upon me either. Like I just didn't want to be subjected to anything. And in mm. retrospect, like that seems like just a normal thing, but I was like very much distressed about it. And I guess my body insecurity is kind of played into that. It's honestly very confusing in retrospect. And I'm like, I still, I don't even understand how I felt at the time, honestly, mm. because it was so, like, convoluted. Yeah, that's so, basically the best I can explain that. <laughs> was it was it then going into being non-binary again? Was that a way to say, okay, this is a little too confusing, let's just back out of that stage of things? Almost, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I felt like I had something to live up to, in a way, if I was calling myself a trans man. And then with non-binary, it's like, okay, this is this okay. middle ground that pretty much I can shape into what I want in a way. Okay. Um, so it was, it was freeing again or like the, mm -hmm. there's less pressure. Yeah. And then at the end of that was becoming a woman again, or at least, uh, being okay with being a woman or making peace yeah, with well, woman identity. I, so I have a, 
video that I've just filmed that's coming out on Saturday, which I guess for anybody watching this back is going to be April the 4th, um, about the event that caused me to realize that I had a detransition, which was that I had like an ego death (laughs) um, over the last summer. And so it was very sudden. And I guess something sort of weird that I'm still dealing with is that I don't feel comfortable being called a woman. I don't feel comfortable necessarily with my body um, or like the sort of woman social role, I guess. But I've sort of changed my relationship to those concepts and stuff like that. And it's almost Hmm. like when I had that experience, my way of relating to my own feelings about it changed. So it was sort of like, yeah, I'm feeling this discomfort, but I recognize that it's not, I recognize that it's not innate and sort of that if I change the way that I feel about it and sort of the way that I feel about myself, then that actually makes it a lot easier to deal with. Wow. There's so much, uh, what you're expressing throughout this discussion is the, the power that conceptualizing things has for you. Like just when you just shift language, it changes how your feelings are. Mm -hmm. It is so like, because I think, I think something that we don't, think about a lot is how how much context and connotation there is to like there are to a lot of words um and i guess just a lot of concepts and sort of archetypes almost Mm -hmm. that i think really are largely unconscious in a lot of ways and especially i guess when you're young and i guess not to imply i'm not young now but (laughs) when you're younger especially in puberty and stuff like that um and you're not as good at like navigating your mental landscape it really is easy to just sort of look at the stuff externally mm-hmm. and not see how much you're projecting onto it and stuff like that and how much of your personal struggles are causing you to sort of feel differently about different words that don't actually change your material reality mm-hmm. is there is there like a tradition or story that helps you figure out the relationship or like the, what what these signifiers are of man and woman you've been talking about stereotypes but where do those stereotypes come from in your mind i guess just a amalgamation of tv Mm. and movies and stuff or i think probably it is mostly media because my parents aren't super like don't adhere super hard to gender roles like my mom doesn't really wear makeup ever i don't think i've ever seen my mom wear makeup she just wears like um a t-shirt and shorts most of the time like She's really chill. Um, and so I guess I guess it's almost just that I perceived the whole outside world as containing all of that stuff. And that, you know, when I was going into the world, people were treating me differently than they were treating my male peers. Um, especially like when I because I cut my hair in like at the end of middle school and <laughs> everybody just kept going, oh, you cut your beautiful hair like mm. which is like code for oh you're ugly now <laughs> oh okay huh. um and so it was just kind of a lot and then it, it had taken a long time to get my mom to let me do that anyway because she didn't want me to be bullied and so i think it was just that growing up like okay i saw femininity and femaleness as like a limitation okay but you also saw that masculinity is a limitation too Yes. So, and so the, now I'm like destroy gender, but whatever. <laughs> okay. 
how do you how do you know if it's uh, society imposing it on you, or are you projecting that society's imposing it on you? And how do you kind of like compromise and mm-hmm. figure out what's where it's coming from? Where's it going? Yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of a thing I'm still figuring out, and I guess because it is sort of like it is really hard to tell a lot of the time because it's almost sort of like I literally noticed the other night I've been doing my best not to really focus on this stuff as much because I don't think it's probably healthy for me but um I noticed that like a male friend of mine would like make a way more eye contact and always be like turned more towards my male roommate than me when we were over at his house and to be fair like they probably they have like a closer relationship than us and stuff like that so it was just it brought back that question in me like am i is this me being paranoid or am i noticing that and either way it doesn't really matter mm. that's the main thing that i'm kind of figuring out is just a lot of the time it doesn't matter very much for me personally as long as i'm doing my best to sort of unpack all of my stuff and then just do my thing regardless of how people are going to see me hmm. that it's such a interesting thing to be obsessed about because it's really complex and then it's made out of these fragments of you know uh yeah i guess stories and then observations of like how are people being treated differently all the time and how -hmm. do you know why they're being informed by that and having the awareness that gender is this component of what it is to be a person but Mm -hmm. how real is it how much can you really uh, make a self out of the building blocks that we call gender Mm mm-hmm it's almost just like, because nobody, right, nobody actually fits really well into any box or anything like that. And so it's just like, uh, it's almost like just the amount of fear that I had about it. Mm. And I guess that sort of hatred of my body combined with that, because I don't think, I don't think it was all necessarily from outside of me in that, like, I think there was stuff that I was probably going to be uncomfortable with anyway, because it's almost like my, you know, the way that I, I guess, am a woman or whatever, just the way that I present myself is maybe different than what is the standard. So I think that was maybe going to be an issue either way for me. But, like, it is just this very amorphous thing that it's hard to pin down. And it's like, how much of it is biological? How much of it is just learned behavior and stuff like that and conditioning? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you, how have you made peace with being a woman? Like, does, does it start and end at the body? Is that like the the principal aspect of what it is to be female? I uh, the danger <laughs> question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is like I for me I am simply a woman incidentally because I don't identify as one other than that I have decided to call myself one because at this point in time, it causes me less distress. And that's, Mm. it's hard to explain to people. And there's a lot of like assumptions, I think, around how you should feel about things. But I don't know, I guess it's the kind of thing where I don't Mm. want to impose my own views on anybody else. But for me, it is just kind of like, I'm accepting what I was born with personally, because that's right for me. And like with womanhood, I don't, I don't particularly identify with it or anything like that, or even like, cause it's such an abstract concept. It is just like, I'm a female person, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. So that doesn't have to matter for the rest of my life unless unless it does, I guess. <laughs> Is when you you said that you had an ego death last summer when you woke up, when you landed, like what did you land on? Like what was like the like I'm assuming that ego death is like you're gone and then you come back. Like where did you was that it, is that accurate at all? Is that proper to even see that? Sort of. I mean, I, I guess I only know my experience, so I don't know how it is for other people. But it was just kind of like this break, almost this separation from everything in my mind that, like, that had built up for my whole life, like since birth, and everything that I thought was a part of me and stuff like that that I conceptualized as just being an inherent part of myself, that suddenly I was looking at all of that stuff and seeing it separately. Hmm. So it was like, like I wasn't there because I didn't exist in that moment, but I was perceiving it. So it was, it was very weird. Um, but yeah, it was just sort of that that happened and I was like, holy crap. Um, hmm. And then for like two weeks afterwards, I was like on a high cause I was like all this stuff, that I didn't know how to sort through before. Like, I see it now. I can do something about this. Like, and it gave me this all this motivation to, like, do things and be, like, a, try and be a, the best version of myself and everything. Yeah. And I guess gender wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a focus for me after that happened. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, it just didn't matter. Okay. What did matter then? What, what did you, what was the first thing you wanted to do? What was the, what was the thing that was you to do? I guess the main thing was that I realized sort of the way the way that I thought about human value not again like not consciously but just a bunch of these negative core beliefs it was like really messed up like that I had sort of the intellectual belief that every person has value everybody brings something different to the table and stuff like that but for some reason I wasn't a part of that and I was horrible and should die and that's how I had felt like for a long time. Okay. And because uh, I knew it didn't make sense. And leading up to that point, it was almost because it wasn't, again, like a conscious thing. So I just was having this huge fight in my brain that I didn't even know that I was having at the time against like this immense self-hatred and like sort of disdain for the entire rest of the world versus this like, like hope and optimism it was like, I believe humans are good and I believe I can be good and stuff like that. So it was just like, ah, the two wolves are fighting. Um, and it was just so much cognitive dissonance, I think, that my brain was like. <laughs> huh. And then. And then what? I mean, I guess just I started meditating. <laughs> <laughs> that was the main thing that I was like, I got to start meditating. Um, and I guess like I started, I started an exercise routine. Um, I started drawing again every day cause I had sort of, that had dropped off when I got really depressed. Um, I picked up a lot of stuff again that I really loved and I started journaling and stuff like that. Like, okay, I have the tools in front of me now to figure this stuff out. So let's do it. Cause I felt like it was kind of my responsibility, you know, like I had felt really guilty before about, sort of being depressed all the time and trying really hard not to be, but then just inevitably feeling like I was dragging down everyone around me all the time. Mm. And so I think there's still some like lingering upset from that where I do just sort of feel like a drain. So I'm trying not to use that as a Mm. motivation to Mm. be better, like just do it for the sake of 
being good for other people and stuff like that. And like being good for myself as well, I guess. How does that map onto the transition detransition uh, calendar? That was, so that was, I think June of 2019. And when that happened, that was, I didn't take another testosterone shot after that. Okay. So that was just the end. How long were you on testosterone? It was over a period of, I think in my video, I might've said I was 17. I was actually, I just turned 18. So I messed that up. Um, but yeah, so I was 20. So it was about two years, okay. but there were some shots in the middle that I had missed because my appointment got messed up. So it was probably like one and a half, almost two years. What's the adjustment of not having that as a part of your body? <laughs> so testosterone, at least for me, was like, it sort of changed the way that I felt a lot. Um, I was almost more confident and more not driven necessarily, but it was like I I was more impulsive in a way and more just like I had more energy almost and now that sort of I'm going because I did just quit cold turkey which I would not recommend okay. um, doing that I was like I, I did kind of crash but then also I was still on this emotional high hmm. so it was this weird like difference between my mental state and then like my body kind of feeling like crap but um, I just didn't have a lot of energy and stuff like that and so I guess that's also another motivation for me to be healthy and exercise and everything because I do have, I feel like I have less energy now. And okay. also like I couldn't cry on tea. That sucked. I like crying. <laughs> Can I ask you why? Just as a personal curiosity. Crying is the best thing ever, dude. I love crying. Uh, it's like, you know, okay. So like the, the best thing that I realized too was with this whole thing was that I have to feel my feelings. I can't just be like, I don't need you right now. Go away. Cause that doesn't work. And so crying is this like, so, you know, if you do a meditation and you start crying during your meditation, it's like the most cathartic experience. It's like the best thing ever. Like it kind of sucks in the moment, but then afterwards you're like, I'm refreshed. I feel like it's like, you know, you unclogged a gutter or something yeah. like stuff is actually flowing and you feel like a good, like, a, you know, you feel good. Huh. I don't know. I really like crying. <laughs> and did that, um, did the, uh, being connected with your feelings did that extend to your body and how going off of testosterone what's the transition of like just being in your body and being connected to your body and how's mm. that been so i'm still it is sort of like a a thing that i'm still working on it's much better now than it was before um i have been i guess trying to ground myself by doing stuff like yoga stuff like running um and just sort of looking at my body less as this thing to scrutinize and more of just like this is the wonderful vehicle that has taken me through my life like this is my friend you know mm. um and just sort of seeing it as the reality that it is just the the body itself and not all the connotations that i would attach to it and it seems like you're pretty solitary did you have to change when you transitioned and detransitioned did you did there were there social uh aspects of that that you had to go through like stepping out of a community or dealing with the loss of friends or did you undergo any of that mm. um my friends were pretty cool about it um i was i did sort of in i guess like at the end of 2018 i had or like some point in 2018 i had lost like a lot of my friends from freshman year just because i was like i don't fit with these people and then i sort of had 
some like sort of acquaintances after that. I, I am t- generally like a quite a solitary person in general. Um, but I had some friends, but I didn't, I guess it wasn't really like I had a big group of friends for it to change, but I do have more friends now, I guess, just because I'm more comfortable with myself and I'm more comfortable socializing. So I do, you know, obviously now it's kind of difficult, but, um, yeah, like, yeah, but like, um, I have not really had any problems with that. I guess people are just like, cool, like whatever works for you. Like, I'm glad you figured it out. And I'm like, nice. Thank you. <laughs> and I ask that in part because there are, have been some D-trans uh, young women specifically in the Peak Resilience Project who are very active in the LGBT community. And you also did a video about, you know, some disagreements that you have with certain uh, patterns mm-hmm. of behavior within, I guess, certain parts of the LGBT community. So I was wondering if uh, what aspect of that was helping you uh, during transition and uh was that community particularly uh, informative for you or a place that you went to for support? Mm-hmm. I definitely think I viewed, I definitely viewed those spaces as like containing people that I presume to know to sort of be like authorities on that topic almost like, cause I acknowledged that I was very young. I didn't really know a lot of stuff and those people, I guess, seemed to know what they were talking about. Um, so it was very much like, I felt like I had guidance in some way and I never, I wasn't really super active in person in those kinds of groups. Like we had a GSA at my high school, but there were not many people that attended. Um, and I guess now it's like my college is very like, I guess LGBT inclusive and stuff like that. And there's like a huge trans population, I think. Hmm. But, um, I guess it is just sort of like kind of a live and let live sort of thing where I'm not, I guess I'm not outspoken about it enough that people really care. Um, and I guess it's because I don't have like any, I'm not like, I hate you people or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah. this didn't work for me. This kind of hurt me more than it helped me mm. sort of a thing. And I think people generally respect that. Have you been involved in D-trans communities since like, like on yeah. Reddit? I know there's a pretty active community there. Mm-hmm. It is like, I do kind of have to be careful how much I'm involved because it is like it is like a very emotional topic and it is kind of like if I put a lot of my energy into it then I do notice it just sapping my energy Mm, but um I am in like a I am in a group chat um I am like somewhat active on those subreddits so yeah it's like it's nice not feeling super alone um that's something I was really scared of when I realized because I didn't realize how much of a community there was until I posted my video um so, cause I guess I saw it from the outside, but I wasn't really in it at that point. So yeah, that's been, that's been very nice. And do you have more time, uh, energy, uh, thinking about gender? Is that still a big part of your life? Do you feel like you freed up time to do other things instead of think about that? Or is it still something that it's, uh, you're getting a lot of meaning and trying to figure it out? I mean, I guess it's now like, Because it is sort of something that I'm trying to figure out my relationship with. Because for me personally, I'm just kind of like, I don't really care about my personal relationship to gender as much. Because I'm like, I'm just going to be myself, whatever. But it was such a big part of my life. And I guess the fact that I experienced those things and that when I had that ego death experience, I realized how common a lot of that was. And... 
like I, I do, I am concerned that um, there are a lot of people like me that don't realize they're like me yet because I was very sure that it that transition was the right thing for me at the time, right? So it is almost like I am trying to kind of figure out how or if I can do anything to help in this situation. And that's sort of why I'm making my videos is just like, may as well at least share my experience so that other people that are maybe dealing with the same thing can mm. reach out to me. How? What do you think, looking back um, on your teen years, uh, what's some things that you would say if like, you could have a conversation with that person? Like, what, what are some of the things that you think you needed to hear or be mm. exposed to? I would be like, trust your mom when she says that this is normal. <laughs> That's the main thing. <laughs> um, and I guess probably like, don't, don't spend that much time on the internet. Don't hold yourself away. Like, even if you're not that social of a person, which I'm not really, there's other stuff that you can do, like focus more on your art, stuff like that. Um, and don't, you know, don't give so much attention to what other people think about you. That's probably the main thing mm. But I was so, I had so much focus on how other people perceived me and it was not healthy at all. What do you think you gained from doing that? That's not a zero sum. I, I'm sure you got some skills from being obsessed mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, it, the contrast is insane, right? Um, it's almost like, because all of my anxiety, because I am less so now, but like I've always kind of been just like an anxious person. And so sort of the skills that I've learned to deal with that apply to all aspects of that. So it is almost just like, I learned how I learned how important my attention is, mm. how important my focus is, because it is really important. And just sort of the way that, like, what you pay attention to, what you, like, construct in your mind or choose not to construct in your mind, how much that can impact just your experience of the world without actually changing anything out here. Would you, if you were given the choice, would you rather not have a body? Just be, a, like, a mind thing? Yeah. Yeah, I would like to float. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's cool things about having a body. I'm becoming more partial to the body thing over okay. time. <laughs> it's taken some time. I mean, I, I, I experienced a long time where I just didn't want to have a body. I thought it was really stupid, slow, uh, kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. You get hurt. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, I know. And then when you get hurt on an emotional level, like the body just like reminds you of it. Like, here's your heart. Yeah. It's broken, remember? I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but... Yeah. Do you think that um do you think that your generation is particular in that you've been given the internet from such a young age and that's changed the relationship that you have to your body? Do you think that yes. that's unique <laughs> to, to how your mom grew up and other people before you? Yeah, cuz I I need to do more research on this cuz some like, I guess what I've read so far, it does seem to be that the more time you spend on the internet, like it does change sort of the way that your brain works in some ways and like it does kind of encourage like this bodily dissociation and mm. so I like I got lucky enough I wasn't really on the internet very much at all except for like Club Penguin and stuff like that until I was like 10 or 11 or so and I do I don't want to sound all like technology is bad Thomas Edison was a witch but <laughs> um I am like slightly or somewhat you know worried about hmm. I guess the digital natives is what they call them the kids that are growing up with iPads when they're like four years old mm -hmm. 
like I don't know we don't know how that's going to affect kids so I I hope it's okay I, I don't know. know what to do <laughs> you you uh, and people in your situation or like your generation probably my generation being Gen X I, I have a memory of pre-internet I don't know mm-hmm. if you have a memory of pre-internet I think the internet's been around it was pretty much already it yeah. was always there it's some capacity Email, AOL, yeah. stuff like that now now there's kids who are just like on it all the time so yeah. we, we all have different amounts of wisdom and stories that we can be passing on to like you know don't forget about the body and um, <laughs> do you think that um what what are some of the things that that help you to be okay with being in your body. Like, like, I guess meditation's one thing, like is breathing important? Are there exercises that? Yeah. Breathing is a really big one. Um, I do a lot of, cause I try to meditate like roughly every day and breathing is a really big part of that, right? Where it is just sort of, you feel your body as like, right? Like you're just in it. It's not this thing that you speculate or this thing that you're like looking at or whatever. You're just in it. And um, it does because it like calms the nervous system and stuff like that. It's good for everything. Um, and then I do, you know, like yoga sort of combines the breathing thing as well. And then like running, it is just like I'm starting to appreciate what my body can do for me. Oh, okay. It's like a trusted friend and useful ally. Yes. <laughs> what are some of the media things that you want to end up producing? What kind of stuff do you want to make? Oh boy, I keep changing my mind. For a long time, I wanted to go into game design, and then I realized that the industry sucks. <laughs> um, and honestly, I because I sort of am lucky in that my interests mean that, especially with video editing and stuff like that, uh, I have sort of a normal job option. But at the same time, if that ends up being the direction I go, I want to also be producing my own stuff. So I would kind of, I've been interested in making like short films for a little while, just like short, like little animated shorts and stuff like that, or just like video art pieces that convey some sort of mm. message that I'm thinking about and stuff like that. So, yeah. How has that. that informed your recent YouTube game or adventure? Well, it's been good practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, because um, I guess it's it's pretty basic, like I don't. Like, like I know how to do a lot of stuff with Premiere, and so with my YouTube videos, it is this, like, small aspect of that. But then it's also, like, with that kind of thing, with media production, the human person is a big element in that and a big, like, asset. And so that's something that I'm trying to get comfortable with because I do have a lot of, um, I guess, performance anxiety almost. And, like, you know, it is kind of hard to be in front of a camera, but it's, it's worth it for what you can do with it. So mm. I'm sort of seeing how that develops. It, your videos don't that stuff melts i don't see that anxiety you're very present you're like thank you're, god you're going, <laughs> it, it it's uh, been interesting in my adventure because I, I work with some people who have a hard time just melting through the camera and like trying to get them into the headspace where forget that it's a camera it's a it's another person you have to completely forget that and you you have no problem just like going right through the the pains and the pixels Good. I always get worried I, that people can like see me shaking a little bit. <laughs> what? What? Um. Do Do you have any plans for this particular uh, project or this channel that you're doing right now, the McKinsey story? I I keep changing what I want to talk about because a lot of it is sort of like I do have a lot of opinions about 
I guess, the current social landscape around this stuff. Okay. But I, I've i mainly been doing just a lot of journaling about it and trying to figure out how I feel because I don't want to be, like, dogmatic. I don't want to be, like, imposing my views on people. Mm-hmm. I do just sort of want to be talking about, yo, this is my experience. Mm-hmm. And this is why, this is, like, how I think this stuff contributed. But at the same time, it's like, I, it is rough making these videos and being so involved because it is just kind of that I wonder sometimes if I'm holding myself back from actually being able to fully heal and I don't want to be uh-huh. doing that. So okay. it's sort of, it's almost like every week I make a decision. Am I going to keep going or not okay. for now? Okay. So the, the algorithm isn't going to like me in the upcoming months. <laughs> you never know. You just don't know about that algorithm. Mm. What, what, um, speaking generally, uh, or as much personally as you want to, um, just so other people can, if they're feeling this too, like, what are some of the things that when you talk about healing, like, what is it? Like, mm. what, what's something that you're, uh, healing or getting, uh, healthy about with? Like, what's an aspect yeah. of that, if you don't mind? Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of it, I guess, again, a lot of it is like the human value thing and sort mm-hmm. of that inner voice that you have and the... The way that you talk to yourself is really important. I had in one of my videos recommended getting the DBT workbook, which I would recommend for anyone. What does um, that stand because for? Because um, dialectical behavior therapy, oh. I think. I don't know what the dialectical means. It, it, <laughs> my therapist recommended it and Dialogue, she was right. What we're doing right now. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, that makes sense, I guess. Um, and so it is, I guess, just like, you don't think about how much that kind of changes the way that you feel all the time just like the way that your thoughts impact how you feel how you experience the world and how you see yourself and other people everything like i you know i guess for anybody watching i would recommend meditating and i would recommend not you know being careful not to treat yourself like crap like Mm. treat yourself like you're a friend this is a just a thought that's coming to me i'm gonna have to think about it a little bit more before it's in the place where I say mm-hmm. that's my thought, but you, the way that we address ourselves isn't just in a pronoun. The way we address other people isn't just in a pronoun or right. or in a name or in a gender. And I think that it could be the case that putting so much stress on, let's just say, the gender pronoun kind of gives us the subconscious thought that you can be contained in just that 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 little block or that little box. But it's not just the way that you address yourself as a man or as a woman internally, or you identify as a man or a woman. It's, it's you're, you're in when the, how you address yourself is the way that you relate to yourself as a human being. And if you try to limit the way that you address yourself in the full capacity, you're not going to allow yourself to really understand who you are, like, and really mm. venture into all these different things that yourself is going to want to talk to yourself about, you know, like all that, all those emotions, all those complexities, and the things that don't really fit into these gender stereotypes, the things that don't fit into any level of the human experience. You need to be able to give yourself the tra- uh, the ability to go in these different directions that yourself is in. And just yeah. rapping about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It's like the um, the mask, like the constructed self. Hmm. Like that then you... Your PPE. Like a, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like almost like your real, real self or whatever, or yeah. just like what you're actually feeling and experiencing like is limited by like your constructed self and what you, hmm. what you call yourself, what you 
expect yourself to be and stuff like that. And so then it's not authentic. Mm. Are you, do you think of yourself, like speaking of identity, do you think of yourself as an artist or as a, do you have a vision of yourself in the future? Like, like who you're going to become like auteur or like, like a label in that sense? Like, a... uh, I guess it's sort of like, I just identify things that I'm drawn to. Yeah. Okay. And I guess that's mainly, it's like art, philosophy, writing, stuff like that. So I don't know what direction that's going to go in, but huh. artist, philosopher, writer, let's go. <laughs> and you get, you get two more years of uh, undergrad left then? Yeah. Do you, do you know if you'll end up doing master's degree program? You think you'll just get into media and watch that go? I think it depends. I, th I really think it depends on how stuff shakes out. I, I want to hypothetically, but like, of course, like financially, that's a whole thing. And then yes. the time and jobs, like I would like to in theory. <laughs> yeah. And with the economy. Well, um, yeah. do you have any quarantine tips for people out there? How have you stayed sane being locked inside? Um, you are allowed to take walks. Take walks. Don't just only like I wouldn't recommend that people only stay in their houses and don't get sunlight because that's very bad for the human body. Um, so maybe it's like really early in the morning if you don't want to if you're in a crowded area or something but like go for a walk go for a run you know it's it's it doesn't have to be like I think a big thing but I I really feel like getting outside to some extent is really important right now has has your social life translated well to going on online were you already kind of there like <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess like my best friend is living with me. Okay. So yeah, that like, I'm not alone, I guess. So that's been my main social interaction. But yeah, I guess I've been just messaging my friends like, how are y'all doing? You're okay. And they're like, zoom classes are weird. And I'm like, yep, they sure are. <laughs> what is so, yeah. that like then? Do you think that, cause I've been thinking that a lot of schools and professionals and businesses are going to see the usefulness of zoom. So what, what are the what's the limitation so far for limitation you? i guess i guess specifically for like art stuff like there is a lot that hmm. you know the the professors would be showing stuff in class and now they can technically screen share but it's almost like with different things i, I got lucky with because i have like media art stuff and so it's more just screens but for like my sculpture major friends they can't do any of that stuff yeah um and so it really is just like it's almost distracting as well being at home. Like you're not like when I know, at least for me, when I go to a classroom, I'm in class mode. Yeah. And then when I'm at home, I'm in home mode. And so it's sort of weird trying to put class me into home me for zoom. Yeah. So like I, I recommended that everybody there. imagine that there's an elevator that you get into to go into the next room. Like just like a two yeah. minute little passage. Like, okay, now I'm in my office. Now I'm in my bedroom. Now I'm going to play a video game. <laughs> Yeah, like separate those spaces. Yeah, uh, yeah. separate the spaces or use time as pretended space to change the space around you. Mm -hmm. So you're going to release a video tomorrow. Are you going to do any more of these uh, interview stuff? You, I, I know some people I want you to talk to. You should hang out with okay. GNC-centric if you know of this Yeah, yeah, person. we're in a group chat together. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. It's really cool. Do you, do you have an interest of doing that kind of stuff, discussion stuff? Do you think that that'll be... Yeah, I really want to talk to people about it. I guess, like, it was, I was really scared, because this is the first thing like this that I've done, really scared going into it. But I guess now, 
I feel a little more confident because I didn't die. So, and you're very nice. Thank you for making yeah, this a good experience. I, I, I've been, I've been, I've been the first for several people. So I, I, mm. I, I, I enjoy that. Like, okay, let, let's put you in the kiddie pool. And like, let's go out for a <laughs> swim. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely interested in that stuff. Yeah. Mm, cool. Cool. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you. Like I said, you know? my uh, one of my very frequent guests was just amazed at your candor and intelligence and how much you were putting into your videos. Oh, she's very cool too. I've been I was looking at her Twitter and I was like, oh, this is relatable. Hmm. Thanks. <laughs> so I'll maybe relay to her like how much value that's how valuable that's been for me. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, so personally, like some of her resources. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Um, yeah. like what specifically so I could share that here I guess um, the there was head. one thread she was talking about like gifted kids and how and like this perpetual feeling of alienation and stuff and like how gifted kids a lot of the time because I don't it feels like ego strokey to call myself a gifted kid but technically uh, I always I'll was. say I think um, you're gifted thanks you're fine <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but like uh, like always wanting those really deep connections and like that intimacy and stuff but then never actually being able to get it and then so becoming really like distressed and depressed and everything mm. and having that stuff actually be normal like I always just thought there was something wrong with me for my whole life I just thought like I'm fucked up for some reason but it was it was cool like seeing that there's a reason for that <laughs> uh, so it, you, you were internalizing your disappointment with the world you're like the, the world sucks it's probably my fault <laughs> I thought everything was my fault. Yeah. Very self-centered. Horrible. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I guess it, it's really difficult to, to get over ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this experience was a big thing for that because it's like now I'm wearing my biggest failure in my body this whole time. So, what do you mean by you that? Know? <laughs> do you feel distressed about uh, the changes that you've undergone medically? It's it's kind of weird because in a vacuum, no. Like, I didn't give myself reverse dysphoria or anything like that. But I guess it's weird because it does... Like, like people aren't expecting the voice. <laughs> people are like, oh, what the heck? Um, oh. So it is just... Like, I have a normal level of social anxiety as a base. And then so talking to new people with my voice, like, people ask questions and then it's like, oh, here's all this emotional, like, huh. baggage that comes oh, up to my okay. brain, like... I did this to myself because blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's okay. like, you know, like I don't tell people that, but like, that's what comes up in my brain. And it is just kind of that sadness of like, I was an okay singer before and I really liked to sing and now I can't really sing anymore. And that was just my voice. Like I was given that voice. It was unique to me and I changed it. And I guess it's like, I, I have already grieved about that with my therapist and everything. It's not, I'm not super broken up about it, but like, yeah, it is. It's a little rocky. Okay. Um. Thanks for opening up about that. I did. I didn't. I didn't. I had no thoughts about your voice. I enjoy your voice. It, um, oh, thank you. Have you? Are you able to? This sounds. A little, I don't want to be insensitive, but that's okay. Are you? Are you able to like figure out how to get this voice to work for you in a, in a song singing capacity? Is there? I mean, that's. I've kind of, it's hard to figure out right now because I am in like an apartment complex. So I don't want to just be singing and have my neighbors be like, can you shut up? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. No karaoke, yeah. I guess, unless there's just apartment karaoke at, at, at <laughs> 6 p.m. on a Sunday, you know? Yeah. Because it is like, I'll sometimes, 
Hmm. Like sometimes in the evenings or whatever after I eat dinner, I'll I've made sort of like a habit of singing like one song okay. every few days or something just so that it's because it feels nice, right? It's yeah. this very okay, you know, nice thing. But it is like my range is messed up, like because hmm. it, it's almost like my it feels like my throat wasn't built like my well, I mean it wasn't my throat oh. wasn't built for vocal cords of this size, oh. and my throat like now my throat hurts a lot. Because and it tends to hurt after I talk for any significant period of time when it didn't before. I think because there's some sort of friction there, or maybe oh. not friction, but like a like the vibration. I can't tell. I'm not sure. I'm not like a vocal okay. scientist, but okay. there's like some discomfort with that. So it does. It is like limiting, but I can probably make it work. Mm. <laughs> I, ne- I never thought about that. Like the you're changing a you're giving yourself kind of a Adam's apple, but your your mm-hmm. neck is still a female neck. You know structurally yeah, yeah. right so i, I mm. never thought about that yeah and the thing just, that the doctors can... should probably warn their patients about <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't think about that at all <laughs> was it easy for you to get on testosterone yeah i went to an informed consent clinic because i i did get diagnosed with gender dysphoria i should mention that after the two years um but yeah i just went to pl- uh yeah planned parenthood and then i think it was like two appointments or something maybe three but yeah, I think it was I think it was like two appointments that then they were like, all right, we'll do your first shot and then send you on your way. And I was like, all right, cool. And I haven't followed up with them, so I don't know where they think I went. But oh. like, I'm all thinking right. maybe I should follow up and just be like, yo, here's the sitch. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> that's probably a good thing to do. I just haven't, I didn't think about that until now for some reason. <laughs> I, I was just speaking before we spoke, I was speaking to uh, uh, a researcher on this and she, she's saying that there's really difficult uh, numbers with D trans people because they just it's they so don't report. Hard. Yeah, like I, I want to do my part. I just thought about this because there is that one study, um, like where it's some isn't it some specific clinic where it's like one of the it was either the only clinic in that country or area or something or one of the only ones, and so then it was like the the rate of detransition that was reported was like between point eight and point four or something like that, but then like forty percent of people just didn't respond back mm-hmm. so like i don't because i don't think all 40 percent of those people necessarily transitioners but like that's a huge range of possibility like mm-hmm. we don't have very good data on this right now mm-hmm. so i i really that's a main thing that i want is like better studies on this because we don't have that information right. right now okay okay and and do you think that you would have it's hard now because you did get diagnosed with gender dysphoria would you want more um either gatekeeping or options presented that yeah that's another thing that i'm trying to figure out because again i guess a lot of that is based on like what evidence we have which in my opinion isn't really adequate for me to make any super good judgments but like i definitely think because when i had you know when i went to therapy i didn't really get much help with gender dysphoria um i didn't really i didn't come out of it with very many skills that were helping me deal with it any more than I had had going into it. So I think that's the big thing is that I think there should be more resources in therapy for people like to be able to figure it out on their own. And that should be like the recommended thing. You should probably go to therapy first and figure it out, even just so that, you know, if you do transition, you can still like it doesn't make your dysphoria go away. That's what I've talked to like a bunch of like, you know, happy transition people about is that like, it still doesn't make your dysphoria go away. Mm. So it's just good either way to learn how to deal with it for yourself in whatever capacity you can. 
So that's my main thing. Hmm. Yeah, we're we're at a new era. There's a lot of decisions being made, and mm-hmm. I guess just making the data as we go along. But it's yeah, point we should get that data down. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. good luck. Hope you get your grades. Thanks. Hope you go viral again. Good luck with your corona stuff. Yeah. How are you, by the way? I didn't ask you that. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm fine. I don't have corona. Uh, I'm just in, I'm in Washington state. So we're shut down right now. No corona here, Mm -hmm. but I guess they say that 70% of people will eventually get it. That's the last thing I heard, but there's so much information out there. Unless there's a vaccine that comes out and there was rumors of a vaccine yesterday, but yeah. So Mm -hmm. just playing it chill, taking my walk, forcing myself to go on walks and yeah, that's the best thing we can do, I think. <laughs> Walk it off, America. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night. <laughs>